Hi everyone, welcome to the 10th Wiki Game Guides Comcast. We are back from our podcast last week where we went a bit off the beaten path. Uh, thanks to those of you who understood for sticking by with us and enjoying it. And for those of you who were confused or thrown by it, uh, we do apologize for that. That was not our intention. Um, but rest assured, we're not going to start some kind of a weekly variety show. We are going to be generally all games all the time. Um, and as we get our footing here, this being our 10th episode, we're going to keep trying to do some unique one-off things or new ventures. And speaking about new ventures, um, we are going to be launching a new week, uh, I guess you could call it weekly, uh, wrap-up on the site where each week we take the latest headlines in the world of gaming and provide the same kind of analysis that we have on the podcast, but in basically a text format. And this is a way for us to separate recent news from uh, basically kind of these more general topics that we think about on the podcast. So we still maintain that integrity of, on the podcast while being able to cover more recent things. Yeah, from the beginning, Simon, we have said that we're not going to cover the newest things. We're going to sit back, let stories develop, and then sort of analyze them from there. However, I mean, you and I, we both read every comment, every email we get. And one of the things we were getting quite often was that people would like to see our take on the most recent news, breaking news, all the latest stories. And we were a little conflicted about that because two promises we made from the very beginning were that we weren't going to do breaking news because that's already been done. But we also said we were going to incorporate anything that the community suggested to try and make it as much of a mouthpiece, as much of a podium for the audience to express themselves as possible. So, as you said, Simon, to try and rectify these these two sort of, it would appear at least to be conflicting promises, we decided to go ahead and bring in this new feature where we are just going to do short little snippets, sort of summarizing our thoughts on basically the going-ons of the week in a text format, very short, very sort of rapid-fire responses just to the the latest goings-on. Exactly, and we hope that this new avenue will bring more interest to the site and overall just help the community as a whole. And so speaking of community, we should get started with our community callback segment because over the past few podcasts, we have accrued a lot of feedback that we should go through. Yeah, what with a couple of uh, late comments from the seventh podcast and several coming before the uh, the Olympics podcast, which uh, we obviously didn't do any community callback for, they sort of stacked up a little bit. So starting us off is a comment from Rare Daniel 46 a frequent commenter. We would like to thank him for that. And it begins by saying, great podcast as always, guys. Thanks. Thanks for correcting me on the other podcast about the live Call of Duty film. I think I got a bit confused, but thanks for setting it straight for me. Just a, a quick side note, he's referencing the live-action trailers discussion where a video, I believe it was, prequeling uh, Modern Warfare 2, and we were discussing how it was actually fan-made, so go ahead and check that out. But Rare Daniel continues, A quick question about E3 2012. I know it wasn't that long ago, but with the internet browser coming to the Xbox, I don't think that they mentioned that we could use a normal Xbox controller, did they? Uh, I don't believe so, because the point of this initiative is to promote their Smart Glass initiative, uh, which is using your smartphone or tablet as the keyboard, and that's, in a, in a way, probably more preferable to moving the thumbstick around for five minutes as you type in NY Times slash world slash Syria civil war slash video dot HTML, etc., yeah, Simon, using the uh, the thumbsticks to try and type is one of the most frustrating things. I know I got in a, an argument with a wonderfully mature person on Xbox Live the other night, and uh, going back and forth, it was it was a little difficult, a little frustrating to try and get off that that you know heat of the moment. Well, you know, well you're dumb, yeah, sort of text, but you couldn't really do it with a thumbstick. So hopefully, with the smart glass, we can get as much flaming as we want. 
Pro tip, guys, if you have a USB keyboard, you can actually connect it to the Xbox and it will work. I know I'll get this to this in a second with the Dixical segment, like what games we've been playing. I've been playing Minecraft, and that involves creating a lot of signs to direct people around. And I got tired of basically getting carpal tunnel my thumb, if that's at all possible, or maybe early onset arthritis. I got a USB keyboard, and boy, did that speed things up. It's pretty crazy. So that's just a little hint for you guys if you didn't know that already. Yeah, and one of the the neat features that will also be integrated if you don't feel like using a USB keyboard or you don't have a Windows Phone 7 is that if you have a Kinect, you can also use voice there. So I'm I'm not sure how well uh, the voice recognition software will work. There's obviously been a bit of uh, a mixed review coming out of that with some of the features Kinect has had, but who knows, maybe they'll work on it. And he continues on to say that one last thing with all the Connect voice integration going to games, do you think that if you don't own a headset or a Connect, it should still work if you are wearing a normal headset? And uh, personally, I think that's a very interesting angle to take it in. Uh, and I think it should, but undoubtedly Microsoft just wants you to plop down the extra, what is it, 150 bucks to buy a Connect. So... I really don't see any sort of back functionality coming. Also, if you've ever had a chat with someone on Xbox Live, you know that the quality is not that great. The quality of the mic is pretty just basic for understanding people. I think a voice recognition microphone would need to be much more high quality. Luckily, though, any game that does have Kinect integration but is not a Kinect game, the features it offers are always sort of ancillary. They're never central to the gameplay and that's the way it's going to have to be until connect or its functionality is integrated into the xbox and i mean mean, that lends some uh some credence to my views that uh the in the next version the connect will have to come as part of the xbox if they want to see quote-unquote hardcore games being developed for their connect software so next uh commenting from podcast eight we have sola fluxion who says, to me, you finally got my name right-ish. Well, yeah, here at uh, the Wiki Game Guides Comcast, we do try. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and say it straight up. I'm probably going to butcher your username the first time I see it, unless it's like ABC123. So uh, just bear with me and keep commenting, because the more practice I get, the better I'll get at it. But then he goes on to respond to several points we've made in the 8th podcast, the first one being the topic of, did KOTOR, that being Knights of the Old Republic, age well? And I know this is my view, Simon, I believe you agree with me, is that, yes, it did. And the only thing that really bothered me is the low resolution and the you know the problems that result from that. Obviously, it's a eight-year-old game, I think nine-year-old game, something like that. So it's going to not have necessarily the best graphics, obviously. But one of the things that I've been doing, and I think I mentioned this on the uh, the podcast with John, was that there are several high-quality HD textures that you can download. And for me, that has solved a lot of my issues with that. For example, there's one called the KOTOR Ultimate Point One mod, and I'll put that in the link dump, but that's this guy who has taken it upon himself to overhaul pretty much every texture in the game. We're talking about locales, we're talking about clothing, we're talking about weapons, just everything in the game. He is completely reskinning in HD textures, and so you should take a look for that. God bless him. And, uh, yeah... As I said before, I just recently uh, purchased KOTOR as part of the Steam Summer Sale, and I've been playing it, and this was after uh, a recent playthrough of the Mass Effect series, uh, and it was, I mean, honestly, looking at it in terms of the gameplay mechanics, it was just as good, like, now, even having seen the newer, I guess, quote-unquote, version, seeing as Bioware made both, than it was back then. Uh, so let me get this straight. You are playing Knights of the Old Republic 1 on a Windows 7 computer? 
That is correct. Okay, um, I might need to go get it on Steam because I have the disc version and it does not work on Windows 7, not without some serious finagling and compatibility things, so score one for Steam there. Yeah, rest assured, uh, any KOTOR fans who have been quite sad that they've been unable to play their favorite game, you can just go to the Steam store. I think it's like steampower.valve.com or just use the Steam app. Much much easier just download it i don't know what the price is now i got it for like 250 during the sale honestly it's probably like five bucks but i mean for five bucks ten bucks whatever it is definitely a good investment okay his next comment is towards our discussion of hollywood versus video game movies he says i think movies for popular game franchises are a bit problematic let's take mass effect as an example first of all There's no canon for Mass Effect, so the filmmakers would have to either bend over backwards to ignore certain decisions or risk, quote, offending certain players. Also, when they make a live-action movie, they obviously can't take the voice actors as real actors, which would really annoy me. I'm still hoping for a feature-length film made entirely the way the Old Republic cinematic trailers were made, but I guess that's too expensive. Now, in response to that, um, again, one of the things that we talked about were how organically the video game movies are slowly approaching the feature film length in maybe a kind of outside way. We're not seeing it directly evolve in longer and longer movies. Instead, we're seeing kind of longer and longer chunks and more and more bits corresponding to an increase reaching kind of that 90-minute standard feature film. And I should also say that Assassin's Creed lineage had kind of this hybrid of uh, CGI human actor blend that would probably work very well for any kind of Mass Effect film. And in regards to your issue about the canon and offending certain players. One thing that I thought Assassin's Creed Lineage did, especially well, and that I think is really the only hope for any sort of movie tie-ins, is to somehow work before the story takes place in a prequel setting. Because if you're taking place before, there there actually is an established canon. We know what was happening on Earth or in the galaxy before the beginning of Mass Effect, or at least we know some of it. However, there's plenty of room there for a story to be told. Likewise, with Assassin's Creed Lineage, we know, you know, there's Italy. It's the, Rena- it's the Renaissance. There's stuff going on. Filling in those gaps with certain characters and making it compelling, that's where you're going to get a successful franchise, not from trying to script for the big screen a like-for-like version of the game. Exactly. For example, I could think of basically all of these major story, uh, these Uh, franchises have kind of fleshed out but yet sort of murky back um, kind of history. For example, for Gears of War, it's like the Pendulum Wars that led to the COG and that whole situation. For Halo, it's the first war with the Covenant, Contact Harvest type material, which is actually already in books. And then for... um, basically Mass Effect, that would be kind of the discovery of the Prothean Beacon, perhaps, the first contact war with the Turians. There's actually a lot there that I think they could go off of. Yeah, I mean, as far as Halo, I mean, you could even go further back. You could go to the original purpose for the Spartans, which was fighting terrorists, and the sort of break-off of the UNSC and all the various colonies. So, I mean, it's things like this. There's just I guess, m- m- piles and piles worth of scripts just sitting there in somebody's head somewhere where these could be pulled out, turned into you know, a very good story, I think, and with the proper funding, the proper budget, a very good, a very compelling, a very interesting film. Also, um, Mass Effect, I think, did a good job of this and um, kind of addressing your concern about voice actors not being able to portray the real quote, real characters, I think that they have a good shot at making maybe one or two major people appear, even though Legendary Pictures already confirmed that they won't, which I think is a major misstep on this part. 
Um, for example, Seth Green was, I think, mo-capped as Joker because they look very similar. So that could happen. Jessica Chobot as Diana Allers, same thing. And so he goes on to say uh, his next comment, which is, at uh, which kind of DLC do you prefer? That question. He says, I love DLC like The Ballad of Gay Tony because they add a ton of new content. I ignore DLC that doesn't really add anything useful, e.g. skins, guns, maps. I kind of like what Bioware is doing with Mass Effect 3, though. Every month, there is a new multiplayer DLC for free. However, what they did with Javik was just fucked up. Javik has more dialogue than any other squad member, except for maybe Liara, while Kaiden or Ashley don't have anything to say. I'm glad that Javik was created so well, but I don't like the fact that we're basically paying extra for content that should have been in the game all along. And I should add to that the extended cut DLC, for one. Yeah, I mean, we're getting back to the same argument that I feel like not just us, but really the entire gaming community is sort of cycling through. Well, you know, EA, you know what you should have done. You should have included it. And EA says... Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Here's some free DLC. And I don't I don't know what else is to be done. I mean, we can talk around in circles all we like. It happened. It's sort of over. However, I do like, and I do agree with uh, Soul Deflection in saying that Mass Effect 3 is trying to, I guess, make up for pissing off some people and, and releasing that free DLC. I'm pers- personally a fan of that. I like that it's free and it adds you know, decent amount of content. And, you know, it can keep me entertained for a weekend or two, which is really all it's designed for. And as far as Caden and Ashley not having dialogue, I mean, that makes sense. One of them isn't going to be in the game. So, you know, that's just how it goes. Cheeky bastard. Okay, so he concludes, so that's my thoughts for now. And then next up, oh, it's Rare Daniel 46 again saying great podcast again, and this time with John. About the DLC subject you touched on, I remember when DLC came out for Dirt 3 for the Xbox 360. If you didn't own the DLC, it is 100% impossible to get in a game. But before you could get in a game straight away, which is a shame. And so, yeah, basically the same thing uh, in our conversation with John about how DLC causes fragmentation in games, especially map packs, multiplayer map packs, where certain people have different ones or just some group of them, and the more you, the more map packs you make, the worse it becomes. And the more you make them cost, the worse it becomes because people begin to pick and choose, you know, oh, I, I got my pay extra early this month, all right, maybe I can splurge for this map pack, and so on and so forth. Yeah, totally agree with you there, Simon. And just, as I said, when John was here, it's just fragmentation is one of the most frustrating things because it can take an amazing game and turn it into absolute shit because you can't do anything with it. So next up is Scumbag Ben, who says, Transferable save files are great, but they should have something like the DLC at the start of Mass Effect 2, that comic. Uh, I mean, I agree with that. However, I mean, having the the saves is nice. Going from thing to thing, that was, I mean, that was one of my favorite parts about Mass Effect is being able to transfer those things over. And I mean, I guess you would need the comic if you didn't like the decisions you made. But if that were the case, why would you transfer your character over? Yeah, more honestly, it was made for the PlayStation version because uh, Mass Effect the ownership was transferred from Microsoft Game Studios to EA because EA bought BioWare. And so they decided to make it cross-platform, get that much more money. Uh, And so for the people that, the PlayStation owners that were unable to get Mass Effect 1, they kind of had to make something so that you could get the key points across and make all the major decisions, which is basically just creating a save file for you on the fly. Yeah, but Simon and I in no way would ever recommend using the comic as opposed to playing through the first game because the experience you get from playing through the first game, even if it's more time than you want to put into it, is honestly fantastic. And I 
don't know anybody who I've spoken with who felt like playing the original Mass Effect was a chore. I, for me, it flew, it flew by. And uh, uh, Scumbag Ben concludes with saying, I like the sound of that fuck you ending. Okay, next, Fanboy93. He said, found this today. Goes perfectly with what you guys were saying. Poor movie budgets and high expectations. And we'll put this in the link dump, but it's actually in the comments as well uh, for Podcast 8. Uh, we'll bring it to the top, though. And I'll quote uh, this selection. While the thought of a feature film based on a franchise like Assassin's Creed is enticing, parentheses, who doesn't want to see Michael Fassbender scurrying around on rooftops and stabbing Templar jerks in the face? The fact remains that most big-screen adaptations of video games are, in a word, lousy. Bad scripts, low budgets, terrible acting, clueless direction, and a general misunderstanding of the source material have made the video game adaptation a Hollywood punchline. The good news? The times are changing for geek culture. Just witness the difference in quality between older films based on comic book characters, quote, We're looking at you, Catwoman and Daredevil, and the likes of The Dark Knight Rises and The Avengers. Superhero films are being taken quite seriously these days. Perhaps one day games will enjoy the same treatment. A guy can dream. End quote. Yeah, and I think at least that example there is just a perfect way to show that, I don't know if you want to call it geek culture or these traditionally less mainstream things like games, comic books, etc., are moving more into the mainstream. They're becoming more accepted. And as they become part of the mainstream, obviously more people are familiar with them. And that's been one of the issues with video game movies up to this point is that they were shooting for a very niche audience who were those who would understand it, would get the movie, would come and pay for it. And so they didn't have as big a budget because they weren't shooting, they weren't aiming for a big audience. However, you know, these games are becoming much more massive. I mean, look at Call of Duty. It's the, what is it, the highest-selling like entertainment release of all time. So if it's that big, obviously it's hitting a ton of people, which means it's in the mainstream. It's no longer relegated to some fringe of the entertainment sphere. And so I think, at least for me, that gives me a lot of hope that at some point in the future we are going to see video games, at least maybe the more major franchises, get a similar treatment to what we've seen with The Avengers and The Dark Knight Rises. In addition, the uh, the article mentions a general misunderstanding of the source material as one of the major obstacles for good video games. I feel like we're coming upon that critical mass where a lot of these new up-and-coming directors and producers understand sci-fi, understand video games, understand kind of this, quote, geek culture, what it entails, what people are looking for. I think these guys have grown up playing video games and watching superhero movies, reading comics, and so they understand who they're supposed to make it for, and they're intimately aware and familiar with the material and know that they want to preserve the artistic integrity of it while advancing it, which I think is a very good thing. So next for Podcast 9, we have uh, the comments about our Special Olympic Games episode, and Dalton32389 begins... I thought this was a joke at first, but you kept talking about the Olympics. This was out of the blue. Did you guys mention this last cast? You'd think a trip to the London Olympics would be something to mention in Episode 8. Not sure how this falls into the WGG community, but here's hoping the next one is game-related. No disrespect. None taken at all. As we uh, said before, Simon, I think you commented below uh, in in the last podcast saying that this is just sort of an idea that Simon and I have been throwing back and forth all summer. We sort of obviously we like puns. Look at uh, look at our title, and so we decided an Olympic Games episode on our podcast discussing gaming news might be fun and interesting. Just sort of a, a fresh thing to bring in there, maybe mix it up a little bit. But don't worry, we are sticking with that tried and true formula. Exactly, and the same thing can be said of Scumbag Ben's comment, which is off topic but still interesting. And the kind of point of the joke was to bring that analysis to the Olympic Games. Um, and so Rare Daniel 46, again, 
uh, faithful as usual, uh, was one of our supporters, and he said, nice to see a different side to you guys. Yeah, Simon, I'd just like to say, I really like Rare Daniel's optimism, you know? Well done. Okay, and next we have another uh, iTunes review of us. Uh, Thank you for that, five stars. We appreciate it very much. Um, Which is titled, Very Nice, Very Nice, by Goober. There are a lot of gaming-branded podcasts out there. This one covers more information in one episode than most do in 20. The hosts are smart, on task, and love what they do. And yes, sir, yes, we are. Uh, And yes, we do love what we do. Simon, I'm uh, currently chucking some coals on the flames of our egos right now. Yeah, I'm just add some gas to that fire. But uh, yeah, next we have an email from Whiplash, who decided to go ahead and let themselves be named. As we said before, our policy is won't uh, give away any information unless you want us to. So uh, Whiplash begins by saying, When I was nine years old, ten years ago, I was introduced by a friend to a game called Final Fantasy V for the PlayStation. He went on and on about how awesome the job system in five was and how the ATB was so much better than fours. He got me hooked right away, and I, and I was interested in actually trying it out. I spent the next few weeks saving up to get Final Fantasy V from an old toy store that sold copies of the game. When I put the disc inside my PlayStation for the first time and began playing it, I was blown away by how fun and deep the role-playing mechanics were. And, there, and they were the, the most memorable moments that still rest inside my head since I was little. Like the first time I fought Gilgamesh in, Canal, in Castle Exdeath and his noble sacrifice to save Barts and company from Necrophobe. Spoiler alert. Those were the days as a kid. Back in the day, the Final Fantasy community were, notice I said were, amongst the best, most reliable group of individuals I, had, I have ever known. They thought... They would always help you out when you needed it the most. It was when I was playing Final Fantasy VIII that I was extremely flustered with Uldumekia's final stage. As I said before, I will butcher any name you put before me, so just live with it. It drove me to insanity when I could not best her. But then came along a friend of mine who offered to help out with the fight, literally. He came over to my house, he lived about a few miles from me at the time, and sat down and defeated that person in one go. I was so thrilled that he asked me to stay and watch me take on 9 next. How many communities do you know that let you ask someone to help you out with a hard fight and the person that wants to help out lives a few miles from where you are? Not many today, unfortunately. Fast forward 10 years later. The economy has seen better days. I have to work at a job to make money instead of being given $10 every Sunday from my parents. And games are slowly becoming more user-friendly and, therefore, more accessible for everyone. One franchise that has undergone this makeover is the Final Fantasy franchise, and it's noticeable not only in the games, but in the hardcore players themselves. And it isn't Sunshine and Daisies. After the release of Final Fantasy XII, I started to notice the community was hell-bent on declaring which Final Fantasy game was, by definition, quote, the best in the series. There were fights that broke out on public forums to the point that they ended up mutating into flame wars. Names were called out in sheer anger. Games left and right were named as the best in the series, with others countering their points with another game, calling them scrubs or morons. Games like 7, 10, 5, and even 1 were named among the many. I caught sight of this, and my knowledge of the Final Fantasy community as a whole made me open my eyes to how nerdy and immature these people were, and parentheses, and still are. If I could describe the Final Fantasy community today in one sentence, it would be bellyaching, dim-witted, prepubescent bigots. Every single one of them. And that is all they do. They whine about the most minute and nugatory topics you could ever witness. They state opinions about something and never accept anyone else's reasonings towards the subject. They behave like children pretending to be adults, coming up with ludicrous and dippy ideas that would make electronic arts look like the superhero of gaming. It further shows how overreactive the community is to retort back to a comment regarding a mediocre game. What I'm about to say may end up receiving a lot of hate, parentheses, and to make it worse, I'm being 100% honest. I loved Final Fantasy 13. There, I said it, and I loved... 
13 too, as much as 13. I love the changes that they made to deviate away from the formula of Final Fantasy, and I especially love the lore and the mythos in the Fabola Nova Crystallis series. It's very discreet and not upfront. They're not going to reveal the, eterni- the entirety of the lore right at your face. It's something you have to delve deeper to interpret. What makes what I said very sad is that opinions like that do not exist in this quote-unquote community. The inclusion of love and any games after 7 is apparently void in their logic. I learned from an old friend of mine a long time ago something very important that I always remember when I play a game, and that saying was, quote, you can enjoy a game even with its flaws. There is no such thing as the perfect game, for if there was, there then would be no competition to best it when it's perfect in every manner. Even if you don't like what has changed, you can still enjoy a game to the fullest extent. And there's one thing that all Final Fantasy players fear the most, and that is change. They don't want to see their precious game change in formula, and they never want to see it happen. Which is ironic as seeing as Square Enix is doing this because that's how businesses work. You need to adapt or die, evolve or become extinct, change or go out of business. If you love Square so much, then you would do the right thing and support them so that they can make better products in the future, not reject them like a broken relationship. And you have yourselves to blame for the decision to cancel Versus 13. They try ever so hard to cling on to the 8- or 16-bit era of gaming. They have to resort to nostalgia to come up with excuses to further exemplify how superior the past games were. It's time that you all grow up and accept that your favorite battle mechanics or your favorite characters in your favorite game will not be in a different game. And so ends the rant. Alright, let us calm, meditate, dragon in your zen garden. Let us think. <sighs> well, let's begin. Uh, firstly, I think what I have to say is that um, how many communities do you know that let you ask someone to help you out with a hard fight? Not many today, unfortunately. Thankfully, wikigameguides.com is one of them. Uh, secondly, but more importantly, I've we, we talk about this pretty often, the resistance of gamers, geeks, and the internet culture as a general to change. In fact, I was looking through the headlines where everyone's talking about uh, basically how Dig was a tremendous flop. And uh, that really started when they did their redesign. And there was tremendous outcry over that. But they kind of kept sticking to it, kept saying... It's it's really better. Just just believe us. Just stick with us on this one. And nobody did. And it went down. Same thing with Facebook. Even though, despite the protests and everyone saying they're moved to Canada... Oh, wait. That's for something else. No, but seriously, just every time Facebook makes a change, everyone goes crazy over it. And then eh, it just kind of goes away. And where I think this stems from is, back in the old days, if something were to happen... Uh, if something were to change in your game or a TV show or whatever, what could you do, right? You could write a letter to NBC or Sega. You could call somebody, maybe, and get dead-ended. You could, God forbid, go visit them and demand answers. I mean, all of these required ridiculous amounts of work, and as a kid, obviously, you're in no position to even remotely try it. Now, with the internet, however, with the advent of the internet, suddenly there is instant response. You And people feel like, whether it's perceived or real, there's a, there's a certain amount of recourse that you have. You can angrily blog about it. You can angrily tweet at the company itself and maybe feel like you're getting somewhere. You can, get it, you can directly email them so, like tons of times and not spend you know, countless dollars that you saved up for mowing lawns on postage. Things like this allow people to be much more vitriolic, and that's what I think we're seeing here. This is a more general comment, but certainly can be applied to what you're saying here for this community. And so um, there's something else uh, that I would like to say is that uh, nostalgia, right? We've talked about nostalgia as well, churning it up, to try and defend yourself. Well, again, we have to see, basically, it comes from 
it's it's an anachronistic holdover because back then you could only buy so many games. There really were only so many games, and maybe you had to pool around with your friends to share those memories, and those basically gave you gave you a huge bond. We didn't have this kind of present era that we're in now with eight to sixteen games released you know, per week per month. We'll we'll see what's coming out later this week on our Game Minder segment. For example, the fact that we have an entire segment dedicated to new games coming out is a testament to this fact. Yeah, Simon, long ago, long before uh, any of us were born, there was maybe, say, five choices for cars you could buy. You know, you can go to dealer A, dealer B, C, etc. And because there weren't really choices, you were happy with the one you got. And so you said, well, this car is good. I'm happy with it. It's good to go. Now, you know, you've got 30, 40, 50 dealerships probably in your city. And you say, oh, well, I'm comparing this with this. And with games, where you're swapping those out much more rapidly than you are with cars or something like that, it's a big purchase. I mean, it's it doesn't have the same lasting effect in the same sense of, you know, contentment in this one object that you had with games back then because we didn't have that rapid response like you were talking about before. You didn't have the options and the variety you have now all just right at your fingertips. And I think that's one of the issues of people apply nostalgia to these games where they say, oh, they were perfect then. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think a lot of that is people just maybe turning a blind eye to faults and saying, oh, well, back in my day, things were perfect, when we all know they weren't. Yes, and so with these reflections, we will move on, clear your mind, because we're moving on to the Dixical segment, Young Grasshopper. I think that's the most refined and elegant way you can ever say dick in your life. Yes, yes. Think of the dick. Okay, well, what have you been playing uh, so far, Alex? Well, lately, as, uh, as I mentioned on our, our little chat with John, I've been playing a whole ton of Fallout New Vegas. Got that on the Steam sale and have been very happy with that. As well as KOTOR, as I mentioned before. And I'm, uh, I'm picking up my, uh, my Assassin's Creed run through. That sort of fell by the wayside for a little bit as, uh, this, as the summer got busy. But uh, I've recently found myself with a little bit more free time and uh, been able to get into that some more, as well as our Minecraft, Simon. Yeah, uh, I've been working with Alex uh, and a couple of others, all collaborating on this one Minecraft map. And I've just been going crazy over it, building Nonstop. Right now we're working on a rail system that basically connects the entire map, basically almost every corner and point on the map to each other in some form or fashion. And so we're working on that. I've been playing Minecraft pretty much nonstop. Uh, a bit of Fallout New Vegas thrown in there. Um, but pretty much every day I'll get home from work, uh, sit on Minecraft, go to sleep, wake up, go to work come back, play Minecraft, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that uh, that rail system with your pretty consistent stops is why you've been having to make all those signs, right, Simon? Because you have all these stops like, now exiting at Station 12. Next up, Station, Bra- station B. B, as in Bravo. Yes, connecting unidirectional service to the main terminus in the gorge. Now coming... Stuff like that. I've been having to make signs for wrong way, signs for all the stations, signs for where everything takes you. And so, again, having that keyboard does help. And the keyboard does actually work for any text field in in the Xbox interface that you need to use. There you go, Simon. You now have a job in the Department of Transportation. Crap. Okay. Well, with that said, we're going to move on to our... Topic, and I say topic because our community callback segment has gone on for so long. We're pretty much at 40 minutes at this point. We're going to have one topic, and then we're going to close it out this week with our Game Minder segment. All right, so, Alex? 
Yeah, this is uh, something that I've been looking at for a little while. Obviously, over the uh, the course of our podcast, I've sort of been portrayed as the uh, the PC guy, and so this this kind of caught my attention. I was just uh, I was on CNN a couple weeks ago, and I just saw this, and uh, the title of it was. Uh, could PC games be making a comeback? And I was like, oh, what is that? And so I started reading, and it was describing some sales figures that uh, I thought were pretty interesting. So getting into it, some of the some of the history of uh, PC gaming, as everyone knows, is once they were the only kind of gaming. They had, or at least home gaming. They had the best hardware, the best games, and if you wanted to play with friends or anybody else online, you know, PCs were the way to go. However, with the Xbox, the PlayStation 2, and especially the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, you were able to do that in a much easier, much more convenient package. And that seemed to relegate the PC from being the, I don't know, the, the gaming supremo to a sort of niche market of hardcore, quote-unquote, gamers. And Simon, what I've been wondering is, what was it that caused this? Was it, as I said, the sort of easy nature of consoles, how you could just plug it in and play? Was it the addition of online capabilities with the Xbox 360, or with the actually original Xbox, sort of with the PlayStation 2, but especially with uh, with Xbox Live? Or I mean, what do you, what do you think it was? Exactly, uh, we've mentioned it uh, time after time, but it is. The, the fact that it was plug-and-play. And really, this was a kind of the start point for the evolution of what we're seeing as mobile gaming because it's always been a drive for simpler, simpler, more easily accessible, more readily available, right? And so compared to PCs, consoles were that. And now compared to consoles, smartphones are that. It's I think this is part of a continual trend we've seeing this natural evolution. And as we said before, Simon, it is a trend towards the mainstream, moving away from the fringe and into the center. And so this seems to work both ways because it causes your your anger with mobile games as you uh, you had your own little rant several times ago. And uh, going back to our earlier conversation, perhaps nostalgia or not wanting things to change from the way I like them, yeah? Yeah, exactly. But that also causes the move towards the mainstream, which will hopefully get us some kick-ass video game movies. So, yeah, you know, it goes both ways. But something I was thinking of when I was reading this article was how influential was the release of Halo as a launch title for the original Xbox in this shift away from PCs to Xbox. Because originally, Simon, it was actually a game designed for Mac. And now I know a lot of people will say, oh, well, it was a Mac, not for PC. Technically, a Mac is a PC. It's a personal computer. It's a computer at home that you can maybe game on. It's sort of iffy. But, I mean, Simon, what are your thoughts on that? Well, firstly, I want to say, going off topic just a little bit, the new Mac ads suck. Um, okay, now back into focus. Uh, I really couldn't care less about the distinction between Mac and PC. The point is that computers running Microsoft's Windows operating system, if we're not going to make this distinction along these lines, um, were ones that <clears throat> were more open that Microsoft allowed the SDKs, the APIs early on for and therefore were able to capture developer attention. And so with that, um, Microsoft pretty much took a commanding lead, which even today, I think, arguably, they've still yet to surrender, not with 92% worldwide market share. But what do you think the shift from Halo being anticipated to be released on a computer, but then switching to being a launch title for the Xbox, what do you think that effect was on the relegation of PC from, I guess, mainstream, quote-unquote, gaming to this more niche market that it fell into after that point? Well, I think it had tremendous impact because, really, um, 
even today we have, yeah, you might have the most hardcore mouse imaginable with a billion different buttons and scroll wheels mapped to every single finger and maybe the ligament in your wrist, but just having two thumbsticks and a bunch of buttons all mapped out nice and neat made it just so much simpler for you to use. And also, one of the major, major things that I've still yet to see any innovation in is uh, plug-and-play. And not talking about that as a protocol, but the fact that you can just pop a disc into the tray of a console and it will start. There's no installation process, and especially back in that era, no switching between five different floppy disks to get all the files on, five different CDs to get all the, the files on, and then maybe defragging your computer so that it ran a bit smoother, adjusting the graphics settings, uh, all this stuff. It was ignored. And so that that's how it became more easily accessible. Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and get in our, uh, our I guess, weekly, bi-weekly, whatever, jab at a PlayStation and say, actually, you do have to install things on a PlayStation. So go Xbox. Just saying it. Uh, moving back towards uh, the center and neutrality, um, I am apparently the Swiss ambassador this week. So this trend has continued today where all, basically in the past decade we've seen all the top games, all AAA titles are being designed with consoles in mind and then being ported to the computer. This happened most notably and tensions really boiled over uh, with this trend back in Modern Warfare 2 where the PC gamers, when they were unable to connect to a server, it said, I'm so, like, there was an error message that said, Please try again or connect to Xbox Live to restore this functionality. Something along those lines. And then it became obvious that the publishers basically papering over uh, the title just to throw it out for PCs really became evident. However, Simon, as I said before, this trend maybe, possibly, don't know, might be changing. Because, I mean, recent sales numbers show that PC sales... Uh, not consoles as a group. We, I say as a group because Xbox by itself is actually still growing. But consoles as a group have not been growing. In the month of May, consoles and their accessories saw a 28% fall when compared with sales a year ago. Whereas PC game sales are actually up 230%. On top of this, still in May, the top-selling game of the month was Diablo 3. This is a PC-exclusive title, and the first time that this has happened, a PC-exclusive title being the top-selling game in a month, the first time it's happened in two years. So, Simon, I pose the question to you. Is this just a blip on the map? Is it a fluke? Or is this a suggestion of maybe a shift in the way games are coming about? Well, I think what it is is every time you see a new Blizzard title launch, you'll have more records and blips and flukes and such. Um, but more seriously, um, it's possible, and I say it's possible because with the new Xbox being folded into PCs um, in Windows 8, uh, we might be seeing an easier integration of hardcore gaming. I also would like to see them put greater emphasis into making the Xbox controllers, both wired and wireless, work better and map better to uh, PC games than they have before. One thing I noticed with Fallout New Vegas was it has built-in Xbox 360 controller functionality on the PC version. Everything is mapped out just as it is on the Xbox version, and it's just an instant setting you turn on and off, and I was very pleased to see that. Good sign of things to come. And I mean, Simon, I think we mentioned this before. That is a feature that is more common that we are seeing more often. I know Team Fortress 2, you can actually use a controller just plug in and play, you know, as blasphemous as that sounds to many Team Fortress 2 players. That is a possibility. And so I think we are seeing it more and more often. And so I'm wondering, as it takes longer for this next generation of console to come out, and as it looks more and more likely that my assessment will be the proper one that it's going to take several years. Yeah, you know, you know, I was going to get that jab in there. That as it takes longer and longer, are we going to see more developers shift over to PCs at least for the meantime? 
Right, and for those of you listening at home, you did not see my arched eyebrow at Alex. But, um, well, the other thing I just wanted to mention was uh, the advantage of consoles as far as uh, plug-and-play goes. And there was actually an initiative way back when. I have no idea why it was canned, but it occurred in pretty much one game and I think one game only. That was Halo 2 for Windows Vista. That had kind of an exploratory look at, well, let's see if we can't get that kind of functionality on PCs where you put in the disc and it starts right away and it kind of loads the files as you go. And I'm glad to see that this is now starting to return to PC games. People are really looking into it. But it's not in terms of how discs are read. It's in terms of how downloads are done. We see that in WoW and I think in several other games. uh, You download, it downloads really quickly. And what it does is it streams the initial areas to you so that you have instant and pretty seamless uh, playing experience. Yeah, I know, uh, at least for concrete examples of that, I was uh, trying out, I think it was D&D Online and uh, Lord of the Rings Online, just a couple of these free-to-play MMOs, just sort of screwing around in them uh, a little while ago, and they both have a a very useful feature, uh, at least I thought at the time it was was pretty neat, called Express Install, where, as you say, Simon, it just downloads super quickly the opening area, the first mission, just enough to give it a little bit of a head start so you can go ahead and start playing, set up your character, do all that, while in the background it is downloading all those later files and it downloads them in a way that as you move further in the game, it has those set up. And hopefully we'll see that more and more often, especially as we see uh, online delivery become more and more the norm. I know Steam just continues to be the onslaught that it is moving towards the center of... PC sales and really delivery as far as PC gaming software goes and hopefully we seem that see that become the norm as opposed to maybe a, a nice feature that you see now and again. Yeah, uh, I would I just want to make another off um, topic comment which is that as we speak I'm reading the show notes from the Office 2013 beta and that actually did copy this model. You download it, and then basically the first Office app that you open, for me that was Word, obviously, it uh, streams that down to you first and then installs and loads everything in the background. So we're not just seeing this with games. It's This is kind of the harbinger. Games could be the harbinger of a much larger trend of general software following this kind of maybe if you buy adobe premiere or photoshop you get the intro palette and then stuff additional features kind of come into you as it finishes i mean that that at least to me simon that seems to make sense because as much as we bitch and moan and complain and whine uh us as gamers as a whole we are a relatively forgiving audience if they try something and it doesn't work. You know, oh, well, we're still going to buy your games. We're still going to keep playing. Whereas, say, a company, a business, if they were rolling out this feature to someone who's trying to use the ex- an exchange server or something like that, and it doesn't work and it affects their business, well, then that relationship that you created with that business is fucked and you're done. And, you know, no second chances sort of thing. So I, th- I think that is something we're going to see where uh, maybe we as gamers are guinea pigs. But whereas most people would say, you know, hey, I don't like that. Why are they doing that on us? That's not fair. I actually I see the bright side to that, which means we're getting all the cool, neat features first. Well, in terms of getting all the f- cool, neat features first, certainly not in the hardware realm. Going back to your question about the real shift back to PC gaming, uh Insofar as PCs are constantly improving their hardware, I know that from me, just going from uh, an old laptop to a brand new one, you as well, we saw a huge leap in basically our processing capabilities. But then also, I'm pretty sure these laptops have about two to three times the power of that Xbox that I see over there. Um, And so... Is it a blessing or a curse? I'm not sure. All I know is that I did appreciate the stability of my Xbox in that it was there and all my achievements and all my save games 
were all kept constant. It didn't move. And But as far as that goes, I know that cloud saves are rapidly about to basically obliterate that stability and make it uh, a level of stability while allowing possibly for faster console revs. Yeah, I mean, Simon, like I said, that is just a, you know another neat feature. You just you know gave an example right there, and you're also sort of displaying that uh, that nerds resistant to change. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, an example live before you. Right. Um, so uh, Alex, if you've got anything closing thoughts on this, because we are about an hour in, maybe we'll go a little short this week. But uh, yeah, I mean, considering the uh, the several marathon sessions we've had recently part in the olympics pun but uh, i think we can cut it a, a little bit short hopefully you guys won't be too mad at us but just to, to close i personally think that uh i and i'm not sure whether this is unfortunately or not i can i still can't decide where i stand on it maybe you guys would like to comment or write in uh saying where you do stand is it could be a good thing or could be a bad thing but i'm not sure if PCs are going to return to the forefront just because, as you said, Simon, there is a a general trend, a pretty strong trend towards simplification, making it easier, moving towards the mainstream. And I don't see how there's any way that PCs can beat out consoles for that in terms of simplicity, plug and play, sit down, you're ready to go. So who knows, but definitely write in and comment on that and let us know what you think. All right, well, my final response to that will be just... Ultrabooks, and so basically, um, that we're seeing now these ultrabooks super thin, super light, yet highly efficient, long battery life, uh, and decent performance. Basically, are breaking now down to about six ninety nine for this next generation, and with Intel's Clover Trail processors, they're prom- promising twenty times the energy efficiency of the current Ivy Bridge generation. And so what we're seeing is now with the corresponding jump in integrated graphics, we're also seeing ridiculously lower power demands. Couple those together and we'll have decent hardcore games delivered through Windows 8's Xbox Live Hub. And then with the battery life to last you the whole day, even when playing the games, and plus the graphics power to handle them and display them in a compelling way. All of these combined with faster internet speeds, allowing you to maybe stream it down, I think, in a simplified metro interface, all of these things will synergistically combine to create a much simpler, much more accessible interface for people to basically buy the next generation of hardcore PC games. And so... Uh, We're going to close that topic, Um, but we're going to end tonight with the Game Minder segment. Yeah, I mean, Simon, in the the past week, not a lot has come out. The only thing that really jumps out at me is uh, Orcs Must Die 2. Looks fun, looks like they built on the original, you know, improved it, fleshed out a little bit, just made it a, a better game. It's already a very good one, so, you know, hopefully just as good. We got to take a look at that at uh, RTX, looked pretty good there. But uh, in the upcoming week, once again, still a little lean since the summer. A couple of uh, Xbox Live Arcade games. But uh, another one that jumps out and another one we saw at RTX was Hero Academy. Now, uh, Dan, obviously, is the uh, basically the chief at this game. But uh, he, it's, for, that, it's for iPad up to this point. And what we're seeing right now is Hero Academy come out for the PC. So, casual PC games. Who'd have thunk it? Another PC game we're seeing come out this week is The Amazing Spider-Man. And uh, that's something we actually haven't uh, delved into very deeply. Yeah, we've talked about video games going to movies, uh, but we haven't really, besides kind of a passing glance, talked about... uh, movies coming down video games but pretty much we can say across the board it's crap yeah the reason we don't talk about them generally is because there's not a lot to talk about they're usually pretty thin as far as content goes not a compelling story really in any way and they're just sort of there as an extra cash grab few few exceptions obviously but 
that's generally the rule. Okay, um, that is the 10th Wiki Game Guides Comcast. As always, uh, please comment below. Email us at comcastwgg.com. Follow us on Twitter. I am WGG underscore SWU. And I am WGG underscore RAM. And with that, I'd just like to say thanks, guys. As always, I'm Alex Miller. I'm Simon Wu. Thanks so much for listening. Good night.